I am here with Laura Gator, and we are going to discuss body image and healthy weight and all things in between. So welcome, Laura. Thank you, Raf, so much for having me. I'm honestly so happy to be here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while, actually. I uh, This all started when I liked or commented or something on a post you did on Instagram many months ago on this yes. topic, uh, for which I, th- I I seem to remember you received a little bit of heat. But um, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so we're here to talk about I mean, we haven't really chosen the topic of this, you know, the actual like title of this show yet, but if you're, if you're, okay. by the time you're listening to this, we have chosen the title. <laughs> so you're, <laughs> if you're listening to this, you know the title and we don't know it. You know um, what's happening. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, we, we want to talk about um, essentially body image and as it pertains to Pilates and, uh, and uh, you know, health and fitness culture. And so, yeah, tell it, tell it, firstly, can you introduce yourself? And then uh, tell us why you think it's important to to talk about this topic. Yes, absolutely. So my name is Laura Gator. Um, I am I call myself a fitness trainer because I think that's a umbrella that covers many many a thing. Um, I have been in the fitness industry for over ten years. We're coming up to twelve years now, um, and studied with Breathe last year. Um, and I'm currently studying nutrition as well. So it is a topic that I feel very passionately about. Um, I think on social media, there are a lot of extreme views on body image. Um, and I do think there is a middle ground somewhere that we can identify and talk about today. Um, and give people, give the listeners something to take away from that is actually productive, um, that they can use themselves to help their own you know body image and their clients as well so what was the i mean i I think i recall the substance of it but hopefully you do better than me what was the substance of that post that sort of was the genesis of this conversation the substance of that post um Actually, interestingly, the, the the point of that post was that I was sort of saying that I felt I had fallen into this um, on Instagram kind of posting to please people and being really cautious about what I was saying to the point where I was coming across as inauthentic because I was concerned about any words that I used um, kind of being plucked and taken and um, called bad things about. Um, and... It was a comment made actually on someone else's Instagram um, that made me write that post um, because it just, on that person's Instagram, I saw someone else be offended at this comment that actually had nothing to do with them. So they just come in and said that's offensive and and I disagreed. I didn't think it was offensive at all. Um, And so, yeah, I realized that I I didn't think it was offensive, but then it made me question, is it offensive? And I just went down this whole dark rabbit hole and it it made me go, you know what, stuff this. I'm sick of not feeling like I can be my most authentic self. And actually I've taken a break from social media at the moment because of the same thing. Um, So, yeah, it's a tough world to navigate. And, and, you know, I I am struggling to recall because this this was several months ago and at the time Mm. as we record this and we've been trying to set this up for 
ages yes. and just schedules haven't permitted and what whatnot. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but my recollection is the post said something like, yes, diet culture is a thing and is a real problem yes. uh, and we need to do something about it. And it's possible to run too far from one side of the boat to the other side of the boat. Mm. And there's, mm. there, there's a, there's a problem with shaming people for just doing healthy behaviors like you know, choosing healthy food choices and stuff like that. Yes. So yeah, the sort of point of the post was if I eat a salad, that's not diet culture. Um, but it's also okay. Uh, it's also not okay to, um, shame someone for being fat. Right. So, but then it's also not okay to shame someone for choosing, um, you know, healthy foods. So yeah, there, there is a middle ground where I think we just stop shaming people altogether. Um, which I know is shocking, but <laughs> crazy. That's a crazy revolutionary <laughs> idea. <laughs> imagine it just being okay to do whatever you want to do. As long Couldn't as you're imagine. Someone else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no idea. Um, all right. So, so can we start out by talking a little bit about diet culture? Now we've already talked to, you know, We've had a couple of ep- we've discussed this in a couple of episodes. Not you and I, mm-hmm. obviously, but on this podcast, we've discussed diet culture a couple of times. But basically, can we, you know, reasonably briefly go over, you know, what diet culture is and why it's problematic, and you know how it might manifest um, in our sort of uh, neck of the woods, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the actual definition of diet culture written down, um, but my understanding is it's this, uh, yeah, culture that believes that dieting is the thing that just everyone should do. So even if you are considered in a healthy weight, that you should still diet to lose fat, almost as if if you have any fat, you should diet and lose the fat. Um, And then I guess comes into play there all of the different types of diets that exist um and the kind of argument around which one's better so you know keto low carb vegan um there's many diets which all just achieve the same thing and that is being in a calorie deficit but yes (laughs) yeah uh, and i'm also not working from any um definite you know written definition so i'm just this is my own only my perception but yeah, you know, I kind of see it as uh, it's definitely got a negative connotation uh, mm. these days um, uh, and, uh, amongst you know a large group of people, and I would I would say it's loosely something like uh, the uh, sort of obsession with thinness and uh, mm. um, you know social combined with social pressure to mm-hmm. to look a certain way, like to look thin and like. Basically, I think what most fitness professional or health professional, sorry, would agree would be like at the bottom end of the healthy range or even below the bottom end of the healthy range of yes. of weight. Yeah. So, you know, like I see a lot of you know, things with like bodybuilders that I think like, yeah, you've probably got like 5% body fat, which is like not a healthy level mm, <laughs> of, that's of body it. fat. Um, yes. And yeah, so idolizing that kind of ultra low fat, look and and essentially I, I guess there's also a I in my perception a connotation within that that there is kind of a a moral or yeah like a moral value attached to 
to thinness, like, you know, thinness, good, fatness, bad sort of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Thin, thin is better. And that's where the um, internalized weight stigma comes into play, where we just expect that people who are thin are more successful and, and better. And if people who have I say people who have fat. That's something else I want to touch on. That's everyone. We say fat. That's people yeah. who are alive. People, but exactly. When people say I'm a fat person, so you've actually just got more fat than someone else. So I think yep. um, even even saying things like that, people are really defined by how much fat they have. Um, but, yes, it's an internalized stigma where we believe thin is better and fat is not good. Hmm. Right. And, and, and you know, the, of the, the problems with that are – you know, um, body dissatisfaction, disordered eating, mm-hmm. you know, men, poor men, you know, anxiety, depression, mm. you know, unhealthy um, food choices, you know, compulsive exercise. That's it. You know, there's probably a, a longer list, but those would be some of the highlights or lowlights. Yes. Uh, and so, I, you know, I, I did a bit of research uh, or a few hours of research you know, in preparation for this conversation. And it, yeah, it's definitely the case. I mean, obviously, anybody who's been on social media in the last five years would be able to confirm that this is a thing. But mm-hmm. there's actual research that confirms it's a thing. And there's so there is a like a correlation between uh, social media usage and negative body image uh, and disordered mm-hmm. eating. Uh, and it's, I, 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 that's the, systematic review I got that from didn't have like a size of the correlation, didn't say like how big the correlation was, but they found it like a clearly statistically significant association. And there's also, um, you know, associations between things like uh, weight-based teasing and Mm. um, negative body image and disordered eating. And, uh, you know, so, you know, it seems like pretty obvious, yes, it is a thing. You know, yes, 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 it is a thing, and yes, it is a problem. Absolutely. Um, there's, yeah. there's also an association between um, poor body image and high BMI, which is interesting. But there's also an association between poor body image and frequent dieting. So yeah. that's a that's one to wrap your head around. Which what do we do? <laughs> yeah, and and it's and what's interesting to me uh, about those numbers about because I've found those as well is that. Uh, you know, is it, is it co- in which direction does the causation lie? Mm. You know, mm. so does, mm. does high BMI cause poor body image? Does poor body image cause high BMI? Yes. Do they both contribute to each other or yeah. do a high BMI and poor body image both caused by something else? You know, 100%. Yeah. Yes. There's, there's a real cycle there where, yeah, I, it's a difficult one to, to know where to come in at and, and to sort of what to solve for first, I think. Um, yeah, there's there's so much that goes into it. Well, when you solve it, you'll be the richest person in the world because <laughs> <laughs> no one else has. <laughs> That's it. That's it. One day. <laughs> um, all right. So, I, you know, I'm pretty sure most people listening to this would agree that diet culture is, you know, there's a hugely problematic aspect to mm-hmm. diet culture. And that it causes real harm, you know, for a lot of people. Uh, so what's wrong with just going, okay, let's cut out diet culture, go on a diet culture detox, um, let's banish it from the, the language, you know? Just like, diet, just cut out dieting. Yeah, mm. cut out, cut out diet. Let's go on a diet culture cleanse. Well, <laughs> so I, um, 
there is an issue with that. And and I talked about this before, but Emma Story Gordon is someone who I am studying nutrition with currently. Um, and she talks about that in an obesogenic environment, you do have to practice some sort of dietary restraint to s- prevent yourself from becoming obese. Because if we didn't practice any restraint, we would all be obese. Um, we increase our fat by eating in a calorie surplus over a long period of time. And so if we are not eating to either maintenance or um, restriction, then we will just continue to put on weight. And as you know, there are a lot of health um, consequences that come from uh, being obese to morbidly obese. So dieting is important to maintain health. It it just is. Right. With dieting being defined as uh, uh, deliberately restricting your caloric intake in some way, shape or form. Yes. And I actually find it really interesting. I thought of this the other day because a lot of um, uh, anti-diet people will say that you shouldn't restrict. Um, But if you've been a consistent weight for a long period of time, then there will have been days or weeks where you have restricted in order to maintain that weight because no one's eating the exact same number of calories every single day. So one day you might have um, eaten in a surplus and the next day you might have eaten in a deficit. And over time that balances out to maintenance. So actually if you are managing to maintain your weight, there will have been days where you've restricted and that is just what we need to do as humans. Right. And that's probably like, you know, I'm just speculating here, but in the, probably in the ancestral environment, like I think if, you know, living on the Serengeti plains or whatever in Africa yeah. 200,000 years ago, uh, you know, there would be kind of like more of a feast and famine cycle to, you know, like we'd go out and hunt and kill a, some big wildebeest or whatever and everyone would feast yeah. for a few days and then there'd be like nothing to eat for three days. And, yes. you know, so that's probably more you just of described a, intermittent fasting, right? right. <laughs> yeah, so that's probably, you know, and again, I'm not an evolutionary biologist, I'm just, basically making shit up here so it could yeah. could be wrong but it does does strike me that that's pr- you know probably you know a couple hundred thousand years ago we didn't get three square meals a day you know that wasn't mm. the norm mm-hmm. that's it yeah and and it's part of that survival instinct where more is good that's yeah. we we want to keep eating to stay alive um and warm in the winter um so it, i mean it's no one's that i think this is the thing to remember it's no one's fault that they gain fat it's, it honestly isn't right. and i think this is where we get it wrong is we shame people for um gaining fat where it's genuinely it, it's not their fault in, in this day and age it is so easy <laughs> to gain fat I can, after sitting a day at my desk, come home, drive home, sit in my car, sit in front of the TV, watch Netflix, order Uber Eats from my phone, and I will have done like 50 steps. So in this day and age, our movement output is much lower um, than than it once was. Um, And food is so readily available with how many food delivery apps are there. So yeah, it it is difficult to, actually is difficult to maintain a healthy weight. Mm, I I think that really what you said there is the to me is kind of the the first key and maybe it's the whole crux of this whole thing is we just we need to divorce the moral judgment from mm. this 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 doesn't need to be a moral issue like fat thin 
it's just it's like it's it's there's neither there's no inherent like good or evil you know absolutely to, to yeah. this struggle um and it, everyone's yeah. going to be different yeah absolutely so i think yeah if we could as a first step just stop judging people as being good bad weak strong you know whatever for yes. you know for being any weight or having any yeah. you know if we could just like take that to the side and not do it that would be awesome mm-hmm. yes um I think there's though there is an important conversation to be had around just you know what you mentioned there about in an well, in an obesogenic environment, which is like we've got this you know, abundance of calorie dense foods available to us that are hyper palatable with you know salt and fat and sugar and mm-hmm. fried and mm-hmm. all of that stuff yeah. um, that basically you know hack our brains like pleasure centers you know to give us you know, instant reward. Yes. Um, and and combined with basically everything automated, and you could literally sit in your sofa and do fifty steps a day, you know, yeah. if you don't make an effort not to. Yes. Um, so basically, I think the default setting is we all will gain weight, you know, and and you know, if if you're listening to this in a mud hut on the plains of Kenya somewhere. Well, this, that probably doesn't apply to you, but if you're living in an industrialized economy, you know, listening to this on your phone whilst you sit in your car or on your sofa, yeah, it probably applies to you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, as I say, it, everyone is different and different um, people in their lives are going to have, you know, I picture a, a busy working mum who just wants to go home and spend time with her kids she's probably going to drive home to get there quicker rather than walk the hour home and she wants to spend that time with her kids versus, say, me who has no kids, just has myself to look after. I'll happily go for a one-hour walk with my dog um, and I just can more easily get more steps in um, and my activity output can be more. And I notice when my activity or movement in a daily basis is less because I do gain fat because I also love all the foods that you've just mentioned. <laughs> um, so it, it is just a, there's this sort of balance that we do need to take as humans to make sure that we don't just keep on getting bigger and bigger from a all health right. point of view. All right. So, yeah, I want to talk about that from the what you said there from a health point of view because please do. I think one of the problems, I, I guess I see two problems with the sort of anti-diet culture dialogue. And like I said at mm. start, like, I 100% agree diet culture is a real thing and I really think it's a real problem. And we we definitely need to reduce the pressure on people, probably particularly women, to, you know, look, you know, thinner than healthy humans, you know, look. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right? So I 100% agree with all of that. But I think... Uh, where diet culture, so where anti-diet culture rhetoric, you know, gets it wrong a lot is mm-hmm. one, you know, moralized, like the sort of a reverse, you know, morality. So saying like, mm-hmm. okay, the problem with diet culture is it shames people who are fat. Agreed. That is a problem. But mm-hmm. then the problem with anti-diet culture is it shames people who just want to eat healthy, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. So, yes. So can we just stop with the shaming already? Um, yes. To start. Uh, and but I think the thing I'd like to really uh, get into a little bit now is um, I think another the other big place I think anti diet culture uh, often goes wrong is 
facts of claiming that there is no such thing as a healthy weight and that any weight is equally healthy and that it's just fat shaming to say that obesity is a health problem. 100%. Um, yeah, so uh, there, there is, I mean, you know, this is probably, I mean, if you wanted to start a business, you know, weight loss would be one of the most lucrative places you could start a business. Yes. Because it's something that's of almost universal concern throughout the industrialised world. And so there is an absolute fuckload of research, you know, on obesity. Like there's just fuckloads of research. Um, Uh. And we haven't cracked the code yet of how to prevent obesity. Um, But – we do know quite a bit about the health effects of obesity and basically they're not good. Um, no. So if you pretty much pick any health outcome that you can think of from cancer risk to osteoarthritis to chronic pain to you know heart disease to just death of all causes to COVID death to you know, whatever, um, if you're obese, you've got more chance of getting it and you've got more chance of dying of it. That's you it. Know? Yes, yeah. And, I mean, I, I think that a lot of the um, anti-diet movement um, and also people who carry more fat kind of go, oh, well, I'm I'm fit, I exercise, I'm not unhealthy, I don't have any of these things wrong with me. Um, but I think what we leave out is that it just increases your risk. So it sure, you may not have heart disease, you may not have diabetes, you may not have any of those things. But when we sit in an obese category, our risk of developing these things is much higher. Um, And we also tend to leave out that when we are storing more fat, um, it causes inflammation within our body, which causes our fat cells to release fatty acids into our blood, which again, you know, results in all the of the things that you've just spoken about. So, there is a genuine risk with just being have, uh, carrying more body fat. Yeah, and um, there's also a risk. There's also a risk with carrying too little body fat. You know, so I, I, I think really the whole theme of this conversation is there's probably a Goldilocks kind of point in terms of yeah. both body weight and in terms of maybe attitudes to body yes. weight. Um, that uh, so the, there's a I'm struggling to read it here on my tiny little screen, but. Uh, a 2022 systematic review um, and dose-response meta-analysis of prospective cohort studies found a J-shaped relationship between a between body fat levels and um, all-cause mortality. So basically, the your likelihood of dying by any cause in the next 10-year increment. So what mm-hmm. that means is basically people with extremely low body fat have an increased risk of death, mm-hmm. and people with extremely high body fat have an increased risk of death. And people with the Goldilocks amount, you know, not too little, not too much, they have the least risk of death, you know, of any cause. And and it's a J-shaped curve. And what that means is that the increased risk of death with low body fat is less than the increased risk of death with high body fat, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So it's better to be in the middle, right? But being obese is more dangerous for your health than being underweight. Yes. Um, yes. And and so that's not to say that, you know, 
hey, everyone, let's become underweight. Like, no, let's not, let's be, let's be a healthy let's one. Let's not go the extreme. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I think, yeah, like there is a really clear relationship there. And this, this systematic review had, I can't remember the exact number, it was like 500,000 there or thereabouts participants. You mm. know, like this is, you know, this is not sort of fringe science. Like this is just mm. super duper well uh, established. You would, struggle to find a single health researcher that would disagree with that disagree you know, yeah. yeah it's like i'd like to touch on that as well raf um and to point out that um levels of fitness come into play obviously um so i there was a study i think it was done over 10 years maybe like three and a half million people i want to say um and that people were broken up into all of the different BMIs um, and people who sat in the uh, obese BMI category who had high levels of fitness were less likely to develop metabolic complications than someone in the normal BMI range who um, had, who weren't fit. So it is better to focus on fitness. However, in saying that people in the normal body weight range who were fit had even less risk than the obese people who were fit. So, again, there is a Goldilocks situation um, where if health is something that you value, then there is a place that you should be in order to to be there. Right. And I I think you're referring to the Lee et al. study, which I think was like 2011 or something like that. Yes, yes. Yeah, great, great, great study. Um, there's also uh, a more recent there's a more recent uh, systematic review I, I haven't got in front of me but I think it's from 2016 2017 2018 something like that mm-hmm. that looked at um, what they called quote metabolically healthy uh, obesity by which mm-hmm. they meant basically fit and fat mm-hmm. um, yes yes so this is I, I can't remember there's some guy that I see on YouTube every now and then who's like quite obese but he's always jogging. And every time you see yes. him, he's out there running a marathon yes. or something. So he's he probably got very – he's fit. He's cardiovascularly fit. He's probably got mm. good metabolic health. His heart's healthy. His, you know, blood system is healthy, all of that stuff, uh, and still has this this weight. And so what they found uh, – this wasn't a study of this one guy. This was a study of thousands of people. Um, mm-hmm. And so they looked at people in the normal weight. So basically that's the 18 to 24 BMI range. Then they looked at people in the obese uh, category, which is 30 plus BMI. And then they looked at people in the normal and under or overweight, but not obese category. So people was like outside of normal, but not obese. So basically what they call overweight. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what they found was, and then they looked at people who were, uh, you know, sedentary versus fit. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I can't recall how they defined fit, but, um, often, I'm going to take a guess, I might be wrong, but often they define it as basically meeting the physical activity requirements, you know, 150 to 300 minutes a week of, you know, moderate intensity physical activity. Um, And what they found was pretty similar. So I think overall the picture, you know, in terms of does fitness sort of cancel out the negative health effects of obesity? And the, the answer is, seems to be that people who are obese and fit don't seem to have elevated risks of all-cause mortality, but mm-hmm. they do seem to have other negative health consequences like elevated cardiovascular disease risk, diabetes, uh, osteoarthritis, mm. 
you know, uh, and multiple other, you know, uh, morbidity, uh, you know, outcomes, chronic pain is increasing people who are obese. So, so there are, so yeah, basically to echo what you said, it's, you know, if you are fit and fat, the fitness does offset to a cert, to a large degree, does offset the negative health consequences of fatness, but not completely. Yes. And if, if your you know, primary concern was health, then you're better to be normal weight as in 18 to 24 BMI and fit. That would be your best, you know, best yeah, place to Yeah, absolutely. See. I think BMI gets a pretty bad rap. Um, I think that people don't love it. Um, but I think it, what it does, it, it's a widely accessible tool that can almost be used as a screening tool. So if you um, sit on the obese category in your BMI and you think I'm, I'm, I don't feel obese or I don't think I'm obese, then, you know, I mean, there are other um, tests that you can go, if you're not sure, follow it up, go to the doctor, you can get your your blood tests and everything um, to, to see if you uh, are at more of a risk. But yeah, resting heart rate, things like that. If you can walk up a flight of stairs without getting out of breath, then that's a good sign as well. So mm. I don't think we need to disregard BMI altogether because uh, it's a, a great, very simple tool to help us determine if we're at risk of many illnesses. Right. And, uh, you know, BMI, which is uh, weight in kilos divided by Oh, sorry. Heights, weight in kilos divided by height squared in meters, something like that. Yes. Yep. That's. I um, mean, yeah. Uh, so, but basically, you get a number between, you know, zero and fifty. Um, and if you're zero, then you're dead. And if you're fifty, you're probably close to death. <laughs> so yeah, most true. of us, when they say they're like eighteen to twenty-four is the the healthy range, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, twenty-five to twenty-nine is overweight, and thirty plus is obese, and below 18 is underweight mm-hmm. um, and yeah it is kind of a blunt instrument like if you apply it to somebody who's got a lot of muscle mass it tends mm-hmm. to come out looking like so, that they're, they're obese or overweight like I've I've got a BMI of like 28 or something but I'm mm-hmm. quite low in body fat I've probably got 10 12 percent body fat and so I'm not overweight I've just got a lot of muscle mass but I'm I'm a, I'm above average weight for my height mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that you know that tool doesn't apply to people who are quite athletic so if that's you listening to this then bmi probably is a bit of a blunt instrument and not a good measure of your health but if you're like a person who has like a a, just an average amount of muscle mass on your body for your height then bmi probably is a a reasonably useful tool and like you say there are other ways you can measure it a waist circumference is a really useful one and waist to hip ratio is also a good one um, because actually it's not all body fat that is uh, negatively correlated with health. It's actually visceral fat. So mm, the fat mm. inside your abdominal cavity is way worse for you than subcutaneous fat. So if you've just got yeah. like saggy chicken wings and some, you know, big butt, like you're probably fine, you know, <laughs> but if you've yeah, got, yeah. if if you've got lots of abdominal fat, that that's a health concern. I quite like, um, uh, who I think Emma Story Gordon said it as well, but um, BMI plus a little bit of common sense is a pretty good indicator for right. whether you're at risk. Right. I don't know if I'm giving humans too much credit by assuming that we could apply common sense to that, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. But BMI is a great uh, tool for public health, um, you know, uh, 
people because it's really easy to measure a million people's BMI, but it's really hard to measure a million people's like, you know, body fat percentage. Uh, of course. <laughs> so. <laughs> Take a long time. Um, so, and, and at a population level, if we're considering hundreds of thousands or millions of people, BMI becomes a very accurate and useful measure of, you know, do we need to build more hospitals? <laughs> yeah, they, that's it. Yeah, the real, um, uh, kind of the important things, right? Yeah. <laughs> the things that people forget. <laughs> right. So, so, right. So there's a real problem with diet culture and it causes real harm through, you know, um, body dissatisfaction, um, mental health issues, disordered eating, um, which doesn't have to be like a formally diagnosed eating disorder. So disordered right. eating is like, yeah, your eating's a bit fucked up, but you don't yet, it's not yet fully blown eating disorder, but it's still yes. like not great. <laughs> so yeah, on the edge. <laughs> so, and that would be basically where you're eating, yeah, you're, you know, your yeast, your diet, your you know, food intake consumes a lot of your mental bandwidth and mm. you're, you know, cycling through restricting and binging and dichotomous think yeah. the di- um dichotomous thinking between yeah, food being good and bad as well um, yeah. contributes to that too. And this this could be the this could be the bodybuilder who prepares all of their, you know, chicken and broccoli, you know, a month in advance in, you know, micro wide portions you know yeah yeah absolutely um and and so yeah so that would you know many people would consider that disordered eating but not an eating disorder Mm -hmm. and then an eating disorder is where you you know get right to the extreme you're diagnosed with bulimia or anorexia or you know something like that Mm -hmm. and that's where it starts to really fuck up your life Yes, absolutely. I think as well, um, a lot of people talk about just any form of restriction being disordered eating, um, and that's not the case. Um, uh, just to quickly touch on, restricting calories doesn't actually necessarily mean, mean restricting food. So you could be less restrictive on a calorie deficit in terms mm. of mm. the m- amount of food that you're consuming. Um, as a quick example, if you had a bowl full of egg, um, bit of rice, spinach, lots of vegetables. Let's go, yeah, stir fry basically versus um, eating half a hamburger. The the big bowl of stuff is going to have less calories in it, but it's going to provide you with more nutrients and make you feel fuller versus yeah. the half a burger, which well, burger's not a great because burger's got some good stuff in it. Half a Tim Tam. <laughs> Half a Tim Tam feels very restrictive, but yeah, it, the mass and calories don't always go um, hand in hand there. And if you're not in Australia, Tim Tam is like the nectar Delicious. of the gods. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and it's, uh, if, you've, if you've tried Vegemite sandwiches and hated it, um, you don't, don't despair because Tim Tams more than make up for it. The opposite, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. all right. So we've, we, I think we've, I think we've, we've touched on the extremes, you know, and I think we're in agreement that, you know, under is a problem, diet culture is a problem, mm. excessive restriction, you know, compulsive food, um, sort of rules and dichotomous thinking are a problem, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the time. Uh, and at the other end of the spectrum, completely abandoned, you know, restraint and, you know, just eating anything and everything and becoming obese are problematic and not Mm. from a moral point of view doesn't make you a bad person 
but it can make you an unhealthy person and it can make you a dead person. Yes. Um, so yeah, from those, from that standpoint, there's a, there's a genuine, uh, problem with obesity. And so there is such a thing as a healthy weight range. Um, and probably to maintain that, you know, like, like you said, like Emma Story Gordon says, uh, you know, in, um, an obesogenic environment to, in order to maintain a healthy weight over decades, you've probably got to exert some level of restraint, you know, mm. on a relatively consistent basis. Otherwise, you know, the default is we're all going to put on a kilo a year and 20 years later you're obese, you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, Raf, just to touch on that as well. Um, in the, uh, the anti-diet movement talks a lot about, uh, I've lost my train of thought. I knew it was gone as soon as I started talking. It'll come back to me. You continue. <laughs> to you. Um, but I'll, so what I, where I want to take this now is I'd like to, ex- so I think we can both agree on the extremes, right? Like, you know, correct diet culture, bad, you know, praising obesity, probably also not, not that great. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so let's, you know, let's sort of move in towards the middle now and start to think about those kind of those gray areas in between of like, okay, so when is it okay to restrict calories and when does that become unhealthy? And when is it uh, okay to put on a bit of weight and when does that become unhealthy? You know, like what are the, what are the, how do we find, how do we find the Goldilocks point? How do we stop running from one side of the boat to the other and find the middle ground? Yeah, look, this is um, something that I would love to solve because I th- it is really, it's a difficult, it's something that I think about a lot actually because I don't, with diet culture comes um, thin privilege and I sort of, at what point, sort of how light do you have, how do we identify thin privilege? How light do you have to be to have thin privilege um, and how much fat do you have to have to be not privileged, if that makes sense. So, yeah, where I'm, I'm actually not sure. I don't have the answer, um, and I would just come back to BMI. But what's important to remember as well, if you are at a, if your BMI is like 20, if you then go up to 24, if you gain fat and your BMI becomes 24, that's okay. So You're still at a healthy weight range. Yeah, what we have to remember is that gaining fat is okay. It's when mm-hmm. we keep on gaining it and we get into that dangerously obese category that it starts to um, become risky, but we need to remove the stigma and shame around just gaining fat in general. Um, Yeah, that didn't answer your question at all. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, I don't have the answer for you. What do you think? Well, I'm, you know, when I solve this, I'll let you know. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Uh, but I, th- I think, you know, how do we, I guess what I'm, what I'm pondering on is how do we, like you say, remove the, the stigma because stigma is not helpful. Um, and that's kind of part of the problem in the first place. Mm. So how do we remove that stigma and make it totally fine? Not a problem. Like why would anyone give a shit if you put on a couple of kilos? Mm. Um, but also make it okay for your doctor to say to you, if you rock up at the doctor with some health complaint, you've got a BMI of 38, it's okay mm. for the doctor to say to you, hey, have you, would you consider losing some weight? Because I think that might help your health. 
you know. Absolutely. Yeah. To even remove it from health, um, I know I used to work in a with a fertility specialist and if someone came in and was struggling to fall pregnant and they sat in the obese BMI category, it, they would suggest dropping some fat because um, it's also associated with infertility. So, yeah, that has to be okay, especially if it's your health professional. I think what – not I think it becomes a problem when we unsolicitedly tell people that they are too fat. So if I went up to just someone on the street, a friend, a family member, and said, oh, you're a bit like you – don't, don't you think you should lose some weight? That's not okay because that's not on me to expect that they even – you know, value health. Um, whereas someone who's going to the doctor and obviously if you're going to the doctor, you're, you're valuing health to some degree. And if your doctor makes that suggestion, it's not fat shaming, it's legitimate medical advice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, man, I'm so with you on not giving unsolicited advice to people, uh, mm. on any topic. <laughs> you <know>? I agree. <laughs> um, and wouldn't the world be a better place if we all just stopped doing that? Um, oh, yeah. Like, just don't interact with someone who you, you know, don't really align with. Or, just or the other just, way. just let people be wrong, you know, let yeah, them go about yeah. their business being wrong, you know, yeah. let them, let them be fat, <laughs> let them be wrong, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know why being fat is offensive as well. I think a lot of people find, you know, uh, well, I think it's starting to change, but yeah, you know, children in schools who are who are bigger um as you say get get bullied and i just don't know why other children are so bothered by that that i don't know what it is i d- i don't know and i'm not a child psychologist or a sociologist but my complete layperson's you know take on that is kids can be super fucking mean and they just mm-hmm. pick on anyone who's a little bit different they pick on you if you've got yeah. red hair or you know yeah. freckles or whatever you know like or if you've got a name that they think sounds weird or yeah you know like kids just can be brutal <laughs> sometimes. Oh, I used to be a school teacher I know <laughs> and that is why I'm not a school teacher anymore <laughs> yeah so uh, I, mean, I don't I mean I don't know I don't know right I, and genuinely I don't know but my perception is that I don't think kids necessarily particularly have it in for obese people, but I think kids mm. could just be like super cruel about anything that's a bit different about someone. Yeah. Um, you know, I got teased pretty relentlessly when I was a kid because I had freckles for God's sake. Like, who gives a fuck Aww. if you got freckles? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, on one of the posts that I did, all my step siblings were incredibly, um, low body fat children just by chance that's their genetics and they all got bullied for being skinny um so yeah it happens (laughs) at any size yeah so um i yeah so there definitely is such a thing as fat shaming and it's that's definitely not cool Mm. um but i i think that there's been a lot of scope creep on that definition on that on that on the definition of of that phrase like fat shaming you know, maybe five years ago, I would have perceived fat shaming as when someone is literally saying, you should be ashamed, look how fat you are, you know, like, yeah, 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 sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now it's like, okay, if your doc, if you go to your doctor to talk about your type 2 diabetes and the doctor suggests losing weight might be helpful, that's fat shaming, you know, so I think, yeah. or, or if, if you, if you go to a restaurant and you choose a salad instead of a burger, that's fat shaming. You know? 
Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know why this has happened. We are real extremists when it comes to just humankind, and I. Yeah, if people take things and run with them, and then it just blows up. And I feel like that is what's going on currently. We are, um, I think, in an attempt to normalize different weights, we have, there's so much sort of focus. It's as if the norm is to be um, sort of overweight, obese now, whereas if you're not, you are you are a minority if you're not obese, actually, or if you're not overweight. Um, so it's almost a bit weird to to make you know to choose a salad or to be concerned about your your weight. It just is. Yeah. So yeah. Well, um, hey, if you're listening to this, you probably already figured we don't have the the silver bullet. We don't have the answer. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but I think I think you know the answer lies somewhere, or at least part of the answer lies in one destigmatizing both both sides of the coin, like destigmatizing putting on weight, destigmatizing yeah. being fat. It's like if you're fat, if you've got no a BMI of 40, you're not a bad person, you know. No. You're a fine human being mm. worthy of respect and love and, you know, all of the attraction and all of those things. But it's pretty fucking unhealthy for you. And Absolutely. You know, yeah. for your health's sake, you probably should consider, you know, losing some weight. Yes. Um, and likewise, I think, you know, can we destigmatize people who want to maintain a healthy weight and like you said like for the vast majority of us if we want to maintain a healthy weight and maintain our health like even if we don't give a fuck about how we look which you know, i think most of us do at some level give a fuck about how we look yeah. <laughs> um but even if even if that's not our primary motivator even if our if our primary motivator is health and mm. and and lifespan like and our goal is to maintain a healthy weight as part of that like, well, can we destigmatize choosing a salad, and can we de- can we destigmatize going for a run? Um, yes. And Raf, I think um, at that point is when it comes down to what an individual person values, um, because you know, I'm hearing that you one happen to know that you value health is like it's all over your Instagram, <laughs> um, but there there are instances where someone's top value may not be. Uh, health or fat loss, uh, sorry, health can look different for different people. So if someone's in the overweight um, BMI category, but they've got um, disordered eating habits, well, they might actually be focused on improving their relationship with food Mm. before they Mm. think about losing uh, Mm. fat. Mm. So it just depends on what people's goals are. And I think we really need to have more conversations around values and goals rather than just assuming that someone who has high body fat wants to lose weight and that someone who is in a healthy body weight range must be have like a be mentally unwell because they care about their health um kind of back to front (laughs) um but what i'm saying is everyone's got different values everyone's got different goals different um resources so yeah it not everyone's going to feel the same way and I just wanted to acknowledge that that there are people who whose whose goals are say healing relationships with food, and um, you know maybe socialising more. Maybe people have stopped socialising mm. because they uh, have a poor body image and want to stay inside. But maybe their goal is to get out and socialise. Therefore, they're probably not focused on dieting right now because they're just focusing on improving their body image. So 
Yeah, I can't. I, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Emma Story Gordon or Amelia Thompson, her partner. But mm. or maybe it was someone else. But there was a great post I've seen a couple of times on Instagram, and it said basically something along the lines of, you know, for some people, you know, saying no to the to the dessert to the chocolate cake is success. For other people, saying yes to the chocolate cake is success. Yes, you know? and it. and and so. Yeah, can we just destigmatize both both of those things yes, <laughs> and be okay yeah. with it and let people make their own choices? And, That's it. And I I also think like getting back to what we touched on earlier about just letting people be wrong or live their life or be fat or be thin or make whatever choices they want to make as long as they're not yes. sort of, you know hurting you. Yes. Like you know what I said before about oh well if you've got a BMI of forty and health's a value for you and you want to improve it like you should consider losing weight. But I just want to really kind of give a, a slightly nuanced, you know, um, sort of addendum to that, which is like, I don't give a shit what weight anyone is. And if someone wants to be, you know, massively obese and is happy, it's like, good for, good for you. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. like, I don't think it's anybody's business but your own and your doctors, if you seek their advice, um, you know, what your weight is. Right. Mm, and so absolutely. I think we should, there should be no judgment of someone as being good or bad, you know, for being any weight. And mm. I would never say to somebody, you should or shouldn't lose weight. You know, Mm-mm. that's not someone would ever say. But I would say, if you're obese and you want to improve your health, then losing weight could be a good choice. Right. Yeah. That's science. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but if you're obese and you don't give a shit about your health, fine. More power to you. You know, let's yeah. be friends. Let's go have a pizza. You know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Like- <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, honestly, just individual people having different opinions, different values, and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so just stop shaming. Don't be mean. Just be kind. I don't know it's hard. Like for anyone listening, try and just be a little bit kinder, um, and you might just find it is quite nice. <laughs> Well, I think, I, th- I mean, you know, I, I couldn't agree more, but I think where the, the thing is that I, I think people don't mean to be unkind. I think people, you know, I think so for instance, the anti-diet people don't mean to sort of attack people for have, choosing a salad instead of a burger or whatever. Yeah. I think Almost everyone, yeah, there probably are a couple of bad actors in the world, but, you know, almost everyone has good intentions and wants to improve the world and, you know, help people be healthier and healthier and happier. Um, But, and I think though that it's, it's like, it's, it's quite instinctive for most of us to sort of push back with equal and opposite force to, to, you know, when there's a problem. So it's like there's, if there's a diet culture, we want to, you know, that shames people for being fat, which there is, and if it's a problem, which it is, then kind of it's natural to want to push back against that and to shame those people in turn yes. for doing what they're doing. And and I think, you know, that's a that's a that's a normal human instinct to want to do that. And it's comes from an admirable place. Mm. But I think like you say, it's kind of, you know, eye for an eye pretty soon the world will be blind, to paraphrase Absolutely. Gandhi. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't actually help because then it all it does is sets up this sort of oppositional, you know, groups that that don't, you know, listen to each other, mm. and and there is nuance 
in this conversation, in this issue, and it, you know that when you we have these oppositional groups that we inherently we fall into dichotomous thinking because we get to like you know them bad us good mm. sort of thinking, and we end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater and and not acknowledging that there are like kernels of truth on both sides. Mm. And that, you know, both groups are well-intentioned, although, yeah, there probably are a couple of bad actors in the world. But, you know, by and large, I think, you know, most of those like fitness influencers out there who are flexing their abs and doing before and after shots, sure, you know, they're choosing the right lighting and they're, you know, all of that stuff, right? But probably, I think most of them at heart, they want to help people. You know, they want to help yeah. people be healthier and all that. So I think, you know, if we assume people are kind of like maybe misguided or that, Maybe they're not even misguided. Maybe they're just like well-meaning and they've just got a different interpretation of what's good than we, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. So I just think um, I 100% agree. Could we all just be kind would be a nice little mantra or could, or could we stop shaming would be another way of saying that. But I think that like we all are trying to be, you know, helpful. Yes. But yeah. it just kind of like helping people by shaming them doesn't work. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, it's not productive. I think that's the thing. I, I, if we could, you know, if we come from a place of trying to add value and reach some sort of productive conversation or conclusion, then that's really great. And I think especially within the health and wellness and fitness space, um, every individual is completely different and we can't divide ourselves into groups. And I think Again, uh, the human mind wants to um, wants order. We like things. We like when things make sense. And every single person, like my health values, are going to be completely different to yours, Raf. And but you're not wrong, and I'm not wrong. We, it, our bodies are our bodies. <laughs> no one can tell us what we should be doing with them, um, unless we are seeking the advice on how to be healthier. And yeah, mm. if you if someone seeks the advice, then then give it, but not. Not without them asking, I wouldn't yeah. think. I think, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's also like an, another thing that I would like to touch on, and maybe we've already kind of covered this and there's nothing more to be drawn out about it, or maybe it's maybe there's, there's something here, is kind of commenting on appearance. Yes. Um, and so I can totally see, we've talked about this on the podcast before, I can totally see how it can be problematic. Right. If I mean, if I see you and I go, oh, you've lost weight, you know, that's great. You're looking good. You know, like I can totally see how that could be problematic, you know. Yes. And personally, I never, ever comment on people's weight. I just don't, don't do it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. cause I think that's a absence is, is the easiest policy in the, yeah. for me. There. Definitely. Um, but I can also, you know, see, having said that, I can see and I have experienced situations. It's not a problem. And it's that where mm. people have, for instance, commented on my weight, right? I mean, mm. I don't really fluctuate in my weight. I've never been really overweight. I've never been really underweight. I've always been about the same weight, you know, yep. go up and down a couple of kilos every so often, but basically, yeah. And, you know, one day I put some a 10-second video of me running on the treadmill with no shirt on on Instagram, right? Yes. And one of my friends, a male friend, you know, um, who I consider a pretty close friend, typed in something like, oh, you're a unit, mate. You know, it's like, mm. I, I just Greek imagine. was the word, right? Right. So just imagine we've been down the pub 
And it just was a totally throwaway, you know, banter type comment, you know, and I didn't think anything of it. It was completely below the radar. I was like, yeah, yeah, mate, whatever, you know, like no big Mm -hmm. deal. Um, But there was quite a few, you know, finger wagging, you know, comments that went to that. And I just thought, I don't know. I sort of felt like I I was quite happy with that comment and I didn't see a problem with it, you know. Yes. and. And and neither did I. I read that and didn't see a, co- a problem with it, and that's what I come back to. Everyone's going to have their own their own views, but I do think that shaming anyone for doing, you know, a friend may comment to another friend and having any sort of shameful language around that. I think personally, again, people will disagree because we're all individuals, but I find that inappropriate. I wouldn't. Right. I would just not. If I didn't agree, I just wouldn't acknowledge it. Um, because it's not wrong for everyone in the world. Right. I mean, there's a group I, of people who are fine. <laughs> if I go onto some woman's account on Instagram and type in nice tits on her thing, like, yeah, I can see that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> right. And I'll probably deserve some yeah. finger wagging, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but th- this was a different situation. You know, this was like a couple of mates, a bit of banter. Yes. No harm, no Particularly foul. friend yeah. to a friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And the, I did a post about this as well. The number of times my female friends and I, you know, like, oh, you're so hot with a flame emoji. If someone said that was inappropriate, if a friend said to me, can you not do that anymore? I'd say, absolutely. I'm really sorry that um, that's that I've offended you. Um, but when we do it to each other and it's part of our friendship, like if you don't like seeing it, then unfollow me. That's mm. fine. Yeah. And there's a, there's a certain, I don't know if it's irony or paradoxical nature to this, that like, you know, we all take, you know, varying degrees of effort over our appearance, you know, the way that we present physically, mm. you know, whether it's on Instagram or in person or, or whatever, like, I mean, you know, no one like literally doesn't give a shit how they look. I mean, my dad who is in his seventies now and he's like, his, he makes a big deal about how he doesn't care how he looks. And he, he deliberately buys like $2 vinyl shoes from Kmart and, you know, wears the same op shop t-shirt for 20 years. Like he deliberately goes out of his way to not, you know, look good. Yeah. But he's making a, he's making a lot of deliberate choices about how to present himself. Yeah, you know, about how as, to not look <laughs> right. He's making a choice to present himself as somebody who doesn't care how he looks, right? That's his mm. choice, right? And so there have been situations where people have actually gifted him high quality clothes that look good on him and he's refused to wear them. Wow. Right? So he's deaf. It's not the case that he doesn't care about how he looks. He's making very deliberate choices about how he looks and he wants to look a very particular way. And that's just a way yeah. that he perceives as being, you know, good. And I'm not judging him for that. I, it makes me laugh yeah. when, he, when I look at his cupboard and he's wearing the moth eaten shirt. And then there's next to it, there's like some $300 thing that someone gave him that he doesn't wear. <laughs> it's like, that's not uh, for me. <laughs> um, but uh. I think we all make. You know, we all make some kind of attempt over our appearance. You know, some of us mm. wear makeup, which I don't judge. I think it's absolutely everybody's choice to do whatever the fuck they want. Mm. Some of us have piercings. Some of us choose not to wear makeup, but we do spend a little bit of time on our hair or choose our clothes because we think they flatter us color-wise mm. or shape-wise. Or, you know, like we all make some kind of attempt over our mm. appearance. And so, and I think we pretty much all notice each other's appearance to some degree, you know. Yeah. I mean- 
if you had a big thing in between your teeth, I'd probably notice that, you know, like a bit of Would you tell me though, Ralph? <laughs> yeah, I would. <laughs> you just let me go. <laughs> um, you know, and I mean, I don't know, if you rocked up to, to this conversation and your hair was like super messy bed hair and you had like, you know, pajamas on or something, I'd be like, that's kind of weird, you know, like. Yeah, yes, you know. yes, yes, yes. Well, and this is the, th- actually, I find, um, this really interesting, the whole chat about non-appearance-based compliments. Um, cause I think commenting on someone's body is separate again to commenting on what someone's wearing or commenting on someone's hair. Um, and I think, yeah, you know, if I'm getting offended that someone else has received a compliment and I haven't, sorry, I don't particularly get offended if someone else receives a compliment and I don't. Um, because I, I look at that person, I'm like, great. If I rock up to a Pilates class at 5am, I've got no makeup on my face. Like I have rolled out of bed. If someone's got a full face of makeup next to me and someone tells them they look great, I'm like, yes, you do. Good <laughs> job you for getting up in time to come to this class. Cause I did not. So yeah, I, I do think it, I went to movie world with a friend recently and she, wears a lot of bright colors. She had bright pink pants on, bright headband, bright lipstick. I wore black jeans, white shirt, neutral makeup because that's me and that's her self-expression. And this girl came up to her and said, I love your outfit. I love what you're wearing. It's so inspiring. And this girl lit up and I was like, that is so cool that that girl has been inspired by my friend to wear more color. It didn't make me go, oh, well, I must look like shit if you haven't commented on my outfit. If I was wearing what my friend was wearing, I wouldn't have felt like my truest self. So yeah, I don't think we need to get offended when someone else is getting complimented on something and we're not. Um, so, I, of, yeah. Sort of a dog in the manger thing. Like uh, my family's Jewish and, you know, we do, we are, I, I'm not religious at all, but, yeah. you know, we do, uh, there are some people in my extended family who uh, fit pretty closely to some of the stereotypes about Jewish people. And so we do tell Jewish jokes from time to time in the family. And, um, one of the, the, one of the things about one of the sort of stereotypical things, which are probably not true of a vast number of Jews, but, you know, are part of the stereotype and probably there are some people that fit it, um, is that they're kind of always complaining and never satisfied. And so there's this, there's this joke that where a Jewish mother gives her son two ties for his birthday and the next morning comes down wearing one of the ties and she's like, what's the matter? You don't like the other tie? (laughs) he's like what (laughs) yeah that's exactly that is exactly right saying you like something and choosing something doesn't mean necessarily that you don't like the other thing um so uh, i mean yeah with that said i i personally again don't have a problem with appearance-based compliments like on my wedding day if no one tells me i look beautiful i'll be scream i'll be upset (laughs) but you know what i mean like we tell brides they look beautiful. Um, th- there's just times and places. Of course, combine that with actual compliments of substance. You know, yeah. I really admire your strength. Um, yeah, you're an incredible human. But we don't. I don't think we need to eradicate compliment, um, appearance-based compliments altogether. Personally, yeah, it's it's interesting. I've I've you know I think about this a little bit because I've got a daughter. She's now almost sixteen and. I've deliberately, since she was like basically able to talk, I've deliberately not complimented her on appearance. I don't call her "Hey, beautiful" or anything like that. Mm-mm-mm. I really try and give her compliments about her effort and, um, 
Uh, yeah, so you know, I've, I've deliberately made an attempt to that. Sometimes I'll compliment her on her outfit, even though mm. like she wears these kind of super baggy '90s retro things that I think, like, oh my god, that's what I was wearing 30 years ago. You know. Like this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, way more retro than that. Um, oh no, I've got some. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so, so I, I certainly see, you know, a an argument for giving fewer appearance based compliments, particularly to growing girls mm-hmm. as they're maturing, and and you know, not giving people the sense that what you value most about them is their appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like intro- I would never introduce my wife Julie as my beautiful wife because it's like, well, yes. if I was only going to tell you one thing about her. Yeah, she's beautiful, but that wouldn't be the one thing I would choose to tell you, you know, about yes, her. Yeah. Um, so I just, I don't use a descriptor. I don't use a, an, an adjective when I, when I introduce her. I just say, Hey, this is my wife, Julie. Yeah, <laughs> um, that seems normal. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I do, yeah, I do, I do think there is, you know, so I think I, I see an argument for giving fewer or in some cases probably not giving appearance based compliments. But on the other hand, and you know, again, I'm not a psychologist. I could be totally fucking wrong with this, but this is mm. my, my, my personal experience. Um, is when I was a kid, it was the seventies, right? None of this, none of this would ever, had ever been invented. You just said what the fuck you thought, right? So my yeah, mum yeah, yeah. told me from morning till night how beautiful and good looking I was and how I was going to break <laughs> hearts when I grew up. And like, she would just blow sunshine up my ass, you know, from Aww. morning till night. And I grew up knowing that I was a really good looking guy. Right yeah. now, and that confidence, you know, didn't leave me, you know, still hasn't left me, but I, you know, now I look in the mirror and I like objectively, I can think, oh yeah, I'm like probably slightly above average, good looking, you know, I'm not yeah, like, yeah. um, Leonardo DiCaprio in his prime or anything, you know, <laughs> he's but, still got it, <laughs> but you know, I think, okay. So objectively she actually built me up to be you know, to be more confident than I would have otherwise been by giving me those recomp- – I thought, I am definitely going to break hearts. Some woman is going to be really fucking lucky to get me one day. You know? Oh, that's <laughs> um, so cute. And so I think that – so it can – and again, this is an N of one. This is just my personal experience. So this might not yes. be true on a larger sample. And it's certainly not true for every individual. But in my particular case, I feel like actually all those appearance-based compliments actually – enhanced my confidence and mental mm. health. And mm. I didn't think that my mum was telling me the only good thing about me was my appearance, mm. but I just thought she was just commenting on the fact that I just happened to be really fucking good looking, you know, like <laughs> it was noteworthy. Yeah. Why wouldn't you comment on it? Yeah. <laughs> it stands out. <laughs> um, no, I, well, and when I was saying, if someone doesn't tell me I'm a beautiful bride, uh, I, look, when I say appearance-based compliments, I do rarely say that people are beautiful. As my friends and I would joke about being hot or whatever, um, but I think when we talk about clothes and hairstyles and, as you say, piercings, I think that represents someone's creativity, their self-expression. And if you're acknowledging that, then I think that's really cool. It's a way to connect with someone. Like you know how people wear the um, the earrings that create holes in your ears? Like personally, they're not for me, but there was a group of people I went to school with and they all had them and they would all tell each other how cool they looked. So, and I wouldn't expect them to tell me that I looked cool with my blonde curly hair and like school dress every day. And your tiny, tiny non-stretched ears. Yeah, my little, yeah. I do have a tragus piercing. That's quite edgy. Um, But yeah, you know, it's self-expression and I think, 
I think that's pretty harmless. And I think as well, that's how children actually form a sense of self. You know, we're, we're born without a sense of self as babies. Mm -hmm. And it's these, when we start to filter comments from different people, that's how we form a sense of self and we're constantly growing like that. So, yeah. It's interesting uh, when you mentioned that, it made me think of watching my daughter grow up when she was much younger, when she was kind of like two, three, four, five, you know, up to maybe eight or 10 even, that she, she, you know, was constantly dressing up. Kids just mm. constantly dress up and they, she dressed yeah. up as fairies and princesses and dancers and mermaids and all, you know, all of the female stereotypes. I mean, we gave her freaking Bob the Builder and we gave her action yes. figures and we gave her guns and we gave her overalls and she rejected it all and she wanted to dress up as a fairy and mermaid and a princess, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and, but she was constantly dressing up and she'll dress up as her favorite, like, TV characters and and book characters and whatever and it's like she was always in ma- that make believe land. She went through this like uh, little orphan Annie phase, whereas little orphan Annie and Annie was like two years. We had to you know watch all of the <laughs> sing all of the songs and watch all of the shows. Then she went through the Matilda phase when Matilda came out. Anyway, but she was always always dressing up, and it seemed to me that kids have this again n of one. I've only had one kid, so my kid. Mm-hmm. But assuming that she's relatively typical in most, yeah. You know, most of her development, um, that kids have this, uh, like they try on different identities and they think of that, you know, putting on the outfit, like I see little boys with their superhero outfits on going to school or or whatever at the age of five or six, whatever they, they try on the outfit and they, they don't see any differentiation between wearing the outfit and being the thing. You know, mm, when you've mm, got your mm. Batman outfit on, you are Batman. I am you know? Batman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think that, you know, it seems to me, I mean, I, I'm not an anthropologist, I'm not a psychologist, but just from my layperson's view, that that seems to be a fairly normal part of healthy childhood development is we mm. we try on these different identities, these different appearance-based identities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember when I was a kid dressing up as a fireman, you know, went yeah, to a phase, yeah. you know. Um, yes. And and I think that's kind of normal. And I, I think that, you know, I don't see why that I, – I don't see that that totally deserts us as adults. I think, you know, for some of us it becomes a lot more subdued and we have much more neutral, you know, colours and tones and things that we prefer and we, we don't wear like everything bright pink and six-inch heels mm-hmm. and piercings through our everything and whatever. But, but we all have – an appearance that we, you know, try and project, like to project to the world. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that's like it is kind of part of who we are. Like we are physical beings, you know. And I know like I'm, I'm – it, does this happen to you, Laura? Like I like people before I even hear them speak. Before, like oh, there's a guy – I see yes. guys on YouTube sitting in the background. I'm going, I like that guy. I'm like – I don't yeah. know what the fuck I like about him. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a vibe. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I was just laughing when you said we don't all wear, you know, pink pants. I think my friend that I referred to earlier, um, she's a fitness instructor as well, and she part of her business is wearing really high cut leotards and bringing back the Jane Fonda um, thing. Like it's really sick. It's called G Pump. Um, and it's amazing. And, and, but she's through and through that she wears bright colors and, and she sort of 
encourages this childlike thing as an adult. She sort of says, why do we have to lose the inner child as we become adults? Um, and for her, the bright colors is a huge part of her self-expression. If she didn't have that, she'd be dulling herself down. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, I know I'm the same as well. Like I, I have to feel good in what I'm wearing. Um, it's, it's sort of part of the puzzle. It just, yeah, everything has to piece together nicely and then I feel great. And, yeah, I will wear a full face of makeup. It doesn't mean I hate myself without makeup, but it just makes me feel good when I am wearing makeup. So, yeah. And someone probably would compliment me when I'm fully done up like that and I completely appreciate when I look amazing versus when I've just gotten out of bed and my hair's not done. Mm. And um, I imagine that there would be nuances to how someone would compliment you that would make it welcome or unwelcome. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And part of it would be like, who's doing the complimenting and part of it would be the words and part of it would be the tone and part of it would be the social context and part of it would be your mood. Um, Yeah. It's really interesting. Actually, part of the nutrition course I've done, we talk about the self-objective objectification theory which is basically as women we are just objects to be enjoyed by men um and we talk about how the association behind that sort of feminist theory and anti-diet and how um a lot of people want to rebel against it so um if uh, if we've been told our entire lives that men prefer women who are thin well what's the opposite of that to not be thin, we, mm. you know, become fat um, or gain fat. And I think um, going back to what am I saying? Yeah, so that self-objectification, at mm. no point am I thinking I am here for this particular person. Um, but, yeah, it can be quite damaging, I think, especially from men to women. That sort yeah, of thing. I, well, it's fascinating that you say that because this is something that I've I've been interested in is the different perceptions by men and women of what the opposite gender wants. And Mm. so when you look at, for instance, women's magazines, they're full of like borderline anorexic, you know, models who are 12 years old and, you know, six foot three. And when you look at men's magazines with women, that's not what the women look like. Yeah, true. Interesting. Um, um, and so there's a there's a book called A Billion Wicked Thoughts, um, which is uh, and I think this this is where I got it. But um, basically, they they did a really big data scrape of people's internet searches, anonymized. I didn't know the, the names of the people, but they could they basically looked and they looked at what men and women searched for. It was one of the things that they looked for in terms of this was all about sexuality and um, people doing like online pornography searches and Google searches and things like that. Mm. And that basically, you know, meant what women think or what what women, uh, you know, what you see in women's magazines is like, that's not what men want. Most men, you know, the average heterosexual man looks at the women on the cover of Vogue and goes, oh, fuck, skinny and bony. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess it's, yeah, I don't even know where that perception comes from then. Now, uh, well, I'm not saying that men don't objectify women. Of course men yeah. objectify women. And I'm not saying men don't have unrealistic expectations of what a woman should look like. I think men want women with, you know, humongous breasts and tiny waist and, you know, whatever. But yes. 
you know, so I'm not I'm, I'm not trying to like stick up for men and going, oh, it's all women's fault. But <laughs> but I I think what's interesting <laughs> is that there's a the the what I find interesting is the mismatch between you know what's in women's magazines and what's in men's magazines about how women and men are portrayed. And if you the same is mm. true in reverse as well. If you look at men's magazines portraying men, right, mm. like men's health and fitness magazine, right, they've always got some kind of guy naked from the waist up with a six pack, you know, big shoulders and all the rest of it. Yeah. The men in men's magazines are these like massive muscle bound, like more muscle is better. There's no such thing as too much muscle. Right? Yeah, if, interesting. If right? Yeah. Whereas if you actually look at the research and there's been quite a bit of research on like what male body is most attractive to the average heterosexual woman. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, now one thing they find in the research is the body is way down the list of what's attractive to women in a man, right? So yeah. for a start, in men, it's like the body is, you know, right up the top yeah. of the list for most men, right? You shallow guys. <laughs> we are shallow. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting, it's true of gay men as well, you know. Mm. Gay men's magazines are all full of big muscled up guys, right? Same yeah. as straight men's magazines, right? It's the yeah, same. yeah, 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 um, true. Um, uh, and, but, uh, oh, Lost my friend, lost my lost my train of thought. Um, train so, of thought. Where was I again? Um, you were saying about the research around. Um, oh yeah, so yeah, what women find different. attractive in men, right? Yeah. So yeah. number one is like women, their body shape is not a, an important criterion for most women. It's mm-hmm. like you know mm-hmm. number seven on the list or something of mm-hmm. what's important. But to the extent that women do, you know, pay attention to body, they much the 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 most preferred body uh of for the average heterosexual woman is something like Brad Pitt in Fight Club. Right? So kind of like skinny-ish, you know, like abs, you know. Yeah. Uh, but not like big and bulky and muscle bound. Mm. Um and so more women seem to prefer muscle bound to like obese men or really underweight men or whatever. So, you know, mm-hmm. Muscles are not like a turn off as such as, but but they're not the most attractive thing, and to to women. And so, like when when you look at what men think women want, it's like get bigger, get bigger, get bigger. That's like yeah, that's yeah. not what women want. Not number quite. one, yeah, they don't look at appearance, and number two, when they do look at appearance, it's they more like look for a David Beckham style physique, you know, like yes. kind of an athletic slim football player rather than a massive bodybuilder sort of physical. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, there's just this massive disconnect between what you see in women's magazines and versus men's magazines mm. for the same sex and for, and the opposite sex. Mm. You know, it's like we've just it's like yeah, it, that just fascinates me. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, what are we putting out there? Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, um if we have the time, Raph, I did want to just point out because we've spoken a lot about um bodies and body image and I feel like I've come from a my my take in this entire conversation has been of someone who has quite a positive body image, um, and I just want to um, sort of validate that people with a poor body image likely and probably won't resonate with a like some of the things said potentially. Um, and if we've got the time, I'd just love to go through the dot points that I had for little tips as to how we can foster a more positive body image. Great. Um, and did you know that I just learned this recently because as our company's yeah. grown, 
we used to be just a little Melbourne-based company here in Australia, yeah. and now we're international. We've got staff in three countries and students in 15 countries or something. And so I've, I've learned that dot points, a lot of people in the world don't know what the fuck dot points are. <laughs> Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's really um, interesting. I was in this meeting a few weeks back and talking with some of our US team members and talking about dot points, this dot points, that. And then one of them just put his hand up and said, like, what are dot points? <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we should they, clarify. They call them bullet points. <laughs> oh, oh, bullet of points. Of course. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Bullet points. Here we go. All right. So um, what's, what, what's, a, what's a positive body image? Okay. Well, the definition of a positive body image, I've got it written down. So people who have a positive body image have an overarching love and respect for the body that allows individuals to A, appreciate the unique beauty of their body and the functions that it performs for them, B, accept and even admire their body, including those aspects that are inconsistent with idealized images, C, feel beautiful, comfortable, confident and happy with their body, D, emphasize their body's assets rather than dwell on their imperfections. And F, interpret incoming information in a body protective manner, whereby most positive information is internalized and most negative information is rejected or reframed. And so, yes. I love that. Uh, The thing, I mean, that was a lot and it was quite a a mindful. The thing that really- No, no, no. The thing that really leaps out at me there is the last thing you said about uh, interpreting incoming information in a a bossy- Oh, I can't remember in a, I can't remember in a protective way. So you Body basically internalize, you know, positive information and mm. basically externalize negative information. And that really puts me in mind of uh the positive psychology literature, um, which basically says that that's what psychologically resilient people do. So um yeah. if 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 something good happens to me and I'm psychologically resilient, I think, huh, I did that. I'm pretty cool. Right. Mm, if something mm. bad happens to me, I'm like, oh, that was a bit of bad luck, you know? Yes, yes, yeah, whoops. <laughs> and well, this fault. is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, and, and this is completely right and it, it's people with a poor body image often have um, sort of, you know, depression, anxiety. There's a lot of associations between poor body image and a higher BMI. There's also associations between poor body image and frequently dieting as we talked about. Um Interestingly, poor body image is the strongest predictor for the development of eating disorders and not mm-hmm. dieting. Um, but for to just everyone out there, um, so how can we foster a positive body image? So body functionality, um, which is basically everything uh, the body is capable of doing. So sorry, having a focus on body functionality. Um, so, also body. So how okay. kick ass, how kick ass your body is rather yeah. than how it looks. Yes. And to, well, to bullet point. Um, mm-hmm. so we've got internal processes like healing from a cold. We've got physical capacities like walking and stretching, um, bodily senses and sensations like sight, um, and experiencing pleasure, creative endeavors like singing and drawing, communication with others, um, like body language and eye contact and self care like sleeping and showering. And actually, this is the only one I'm going to touch on because I think it's really cool. Um, Yoga is seen to have a really positive correlation with body image, and that is because in yoga um, they tend to do sometimes affirmations at the end of class where it's like you're grateful for your body and what it has allowed you to do today, Um, but also that sort of mind-body connection um, promotes this yeah connection to your body um and so even as pilates instructors the way we can help to foster a positive 
body image in our classes is of course if it feels right for you and if it feels authentic we can find space to um, introduce positive affirmations at the end of class and positive affirmations are not like I love my roles I love my cellulite um, in fact bringing attention to people's uh, um, what's called insecurities actually has a negative impact so we don't want to do that but having a focus on body body functionality so all those things that I just outlined um, can help to foster a positive body image which I find really interesting yeah so uh I've got sort of a bit of tangential knowledge on this issue, so I, I yes. don't feel to consider myself knowledgeable on this, but I, I do have a little bit of information. And I think what you've said, um, three things come to me. One is that uh, we as instructors can probably help by, uh, af- by um, pointing out to people when they do something well, like mm. – so if you're in my class and we're doing push-ups and you get up to push-up number nine or something and, you know, half of the class are already stopping to rest, I'm like, walk past and go, Laura, you're fucking strong, dude. Like, Yeah, yes, know. yeah. Um, so just pointing, but not like, not it, it's, it's quite a specific thing of pointing out something that you are doing well, not just mm. like a, hey, high five, you're awesome. It's yeah, like, you're hey, great. Mm. here's this thing that you're doing that is like objectively good. Look, everyone else has stopped. Mm-hmm. You're still going, mm. right? Mm. And I wouldn't say everyone else has stopped because that would be putting the other people down, but. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I would even take it one step further, Raph, to remove it from you're really strong to those push-ups look really strong. So again, we mm-hmm. remove it from mm-hmm. the body, um, like your push-ups. So the object is the push-up look really mm-hmm. strong rather than saying you are really strong because um, interestingly bringing it back to the body that way can have a negative impact as well. Mm. Um, there's two other really simple ones that I'm a big fan of. So getting out in nature is associated with positive body image. So as much as you can mm. get outside for a walk, um, visit the beach, the forest, whatever. Um, and this is a big one, wear sunscreen. So it's um, wearing mm. sunscreen is actually correlated with a positive body image because when you're wearing sunscreen you're protecting your body from the sun and it's like a self-care thing that you can do where you're like hey body i care about you i'm going to protect you with this um uv barrier Mm. um which i think is really cool Hmm. i wonder if i wonder if there's a reverse causation there though i wonder if you're more likely to wear sunscreen if you've got a more positive association with your body Definitely. Yes. I, I actually would agree with that 100% because I've been through phases of having poor body image and I definitely wouldn't have cared about wearing sunscreen. I probably wouldn't have cared about the food I was eating either. So, um, yeah. There's, there's, there's some, um, a parallel from some of the happiness literature from a researcher called Sonja Lebomorsky, uh, who is, she researches how people can make themselves happier. And one of the mm-hmm. things she's found is uh, gratitude. Uh, and, you know, most, most of you listening, you know, probably have some uh, knowledge of this anyway. But basically what she's found is that um, coming up with, you know, two or three things that you're grateful for each day mm-hmm. uh, increases happiness. And, mm-hmm. the, and the reason she reckons it does this, so if you come up with 10 things that you're happy, uh, that you're grateful for, it's not actually better than coming up with two or three things. In fact, it's worse. Because what happens is, 
uh, and this is what Sonia Lubomorsky reckons, is that when you, when you like have to come up with just like two or three things that you're grateful for, like it's pretty easy to come up with two or three things. Oh, I've got this beautiful dinner I'm eating. Oh, it was mm. a nice day today. I enjoyed my coffee this morning. You know, That's it's it, really yeah. easy to think of three things that you're grateful for, right? So you think, oh, I can mm-hmm. easily think of things I'm grateful for. Therefore, I must have a good life, right? So yes. therefore, you kind of think, oh, you know, I must be lucky. Therefore, you know, I'm happy. But whereas when yes. you have to think of 10 things, you get to like six and you're like, oh, shit, I can't think of anything else. And then you think, oh, no, I don't have much to be grateful for. I've run out of things. I can't think of anything I'm grateful for. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I completely get that. So so in her opinion, it's better. To, that's why it's better to just think of two or three things and you can journal them, or you can say them to other people, you can say them to yourself, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. It's just the process of coming up with the, you know, what are you grateful for? And yes. uh, so it strikes me that potentially that could work with bodies as well. Like you're saying, like, what mm-hmm. am I grateful for about my body? But rather than saying to people, like, be grateful for X, like mm. ask them to come up with one or two or three things that they are grateful for about their body. Absolutely. And of course, when you are having a really poor body image day, your honestly full your fallback is I'm grateful to be alive. Or I'm just grateful to have gotten out of bed this morning. Or even if you didn't get out of bed, I'm grateful to have woken up. Um and of course these are a little bit different um for able body people. Just want to point that out there, point that out too. Um, not everyone's going to have the the same things that they can say that they're grateful for, but um working with people with a disability and getting them to do these exercises about the things that they are able to do as well um, also has a positive impact. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I remember like many times when I was a kid, just like marveling at the fact that I'm alive. It just seems so amazing. So miraculous. Did you have that? Um, no, but I have a crippling fear of dying. So I wonder if that's, <laughs> That's the same thing. <laughs> I just want to live forever. That's why I value health. <laughs> oh. well, we'll be dead for a long time. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, uh. that, just lastly, I want to just uh, touch on what you said before about um, that uh, sort of taking good things, uh, you know, part of uh, having a healthy body image, a positive body image is taking uh, outside information, taking, um, what did you say? Positive information um, is internal and, and yeah, negative information is external. <laughs> and so I just think like, well, that might be somebody who maybe they're like naturally quite flexible, but like not presently very strong, right? Mm-hmm. So th- thinking about that is like, oh, I'm pretty cool for being flexible. Like I'm, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, really, mm. that's really good of me. <laughs> and then yeah, thinking true. like, oh, it's kind of bad luck that I'm not that strong because I've never had the opportunity up until now to do strength training, you know? Like yeah. just thinking like, like, I mean, I think about that. I'm actually the opposite. I'm naturally super stiff and quite strong. And yes. so, I, you know, the way I even phrase that is like, I'm naturally stiff. It's like, well, it's not my fault I'm stiff, you know, mm. like, <laughs> but every time, every time I do my exercises, my strength exercise, I'm, gee, I'm pretty good for doing this, you know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And 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 being and allowing yourself, I guess, to think that. And well, it's interesting that you even use the word flexibility because I, I wasn't going to bring them all up. But this was another um, bullet point, if you will. Um, another way to foster positive body image is body image flexibility. Hmm. Um, so the ability to accept and experience both positive and negative thoughts, beliefs, and feelings about one's body. Um, so yeah, if you, you can be like, oh, that's really cool. Like I can do this. I can do that. And then if you're like, oh but I, I hate that cellulite, instead of 
being like, oh, but I shouldn't hate the cellulite. I should, I should love it. Just let it go. It's okay. Like just move on and let's go back to that cool thing that you were talking about before and mm. let's really amp that up. Um, and, and that's why these, sorry, these um, on Instagram and stuff, these body positive accounts telling people to love their roles and love the cellulite, love their jiggle actually is not um, helpful mm. for positive body image because it brings our focus to that. Uh, it's it's insecurities that we've been told to hate for our entire lives. Wow. We're not all of a sudden gonna gonna love it. <laughs> what a what a great insight that I think that is so powerful. I mean, I know you said it before, but just as you said it now, I just realised like the parallel to pain there because pain, I don't know this is yeah. this top what we're top discussing today. You know, is something I have relatively little knowledge of. Like I did a fair bit of research for today's conversation, but this is not something I spend a lot of time thinking about. But pain is something I spend a fuckload of time thinking about, yes. and it's really my one of my core areas of expertise. And there is very good research in pain that focusing on the pain makes the pain worse. Yeah, distraction makes pain better, right? And we yes. all know this if we've been around a two-year-old with a you know scuffed knee or something. It's like distraction makes the pain <laughs> go away, right? Don't talk but about it. <laughs> it works for adults too, right? When you yeah. when you distract yourself with music or watching a video or any other thing, mm. pain re people report pain as being less painful when mm. they're distracted. And when we mm. focus on the pain, even when we focus on like relaxing that body part and just like accepting the pain, all of those types of things make it worse. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, so distraction and so this is, you know, the parallel that really just came to me as you were talking is like with the, you know, okay, if you don't like your jiggly bits, just ignore them and focus on something else, you know? Yeah, like, let's not talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. That's all right. Um, and it's interesting you say that because I also thought about this pain thing because um, mood was another big one and I happen to have learned from you that mood, bad mood, you know, makes pain worse. Um or, you know, depression, anxiety and stuff. But this is the same with body image is if you wake up and you're in a bad mood, you're probably going to look in the mirror and find something that you don't like about yourself. So I would also encourage people, if you do wake up and you're in a bad mood, either A, don't look in the mirror or B, go in there just ready to find something that you like. And whether it's the fact that you did get out of bed, then that's all that needs to happen. Yeah. This has been uh, – this um... – this year has been interesting for me from this perspective because I work, like I said, with a lot of people in all over the world. So time zones are mm. a real thing. And so I frequently like give lectures, talk to students, have meetings, whatever, at like 5.30 in the morning, you know, yeah. uh, four in the morning sometimes, not that often, but sometimes. And then, you know, all most days of the week, 6, 7 a.m. I'm on Zoom or something with someone. Wow. And so it's become like very normal for me to be like, oh, I kind of roll out of bed, push my hair into some kind of shape and <laughs> you know, put on a clean t-shirt and, you know, yeah, get on a Zoom call, you know. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, so that has become kind of like normal because it's like, well, it's not feasible for me to get up an hour earlier, have a shower and have a run before I do all of that stuff. So yeah, it's just, I've just observed that interest, inter been interested to observe that in myself where I've just become like, yeah, kind of less give a shit about yeah, yeah, <laughs> the the presentation. Yeah, well, because you are so busy, you got, you can't, don't have time to focus on it. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think that kind of comes under the distraction thing, right? Like we, mm. 
we we obsess about things when we have more time on our hands and when we're truly focused on doing something that's important mm. we often like that's actually the really the definition of flow right is when you stop thinking about stuff and you're just immersed yeah. in in what you're doing mm-hmm. so yeah maybe and that kind of fits in with the distraction thing so maybe if we just like stop worrying so much about it and just yeah started thinking about like how many more push-ups can you do or whatever that might be more yeah, useful. <laughs> definitely I, th- I feel like we're very intrinsic or in it was a word yeah intrinsic um kind of self aware of self society and we spend a lot of time in our own minds and in our own you know thoughts these days yeah. um and yeah it gets exhausting I've, I've been there this year a lot so um yeah Something I do a lot, I routinely do now every time I'm on Zoom is there's a little button on the top right, the three dots of your Zoom profile. You can just select hide self-view. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I always do that and that way I'm not distracted because it's quite distracting when there's an image of yourself there, I find anyway. I just like always looking at, is my hair straight, you know? like (laughs) Was this view available for this podcast because I've had myself there this whole time? No, (laughs) it's not But uh, because we're using a different software than Zoom, but um, I minimize the view of myself and then I kind of squish up the window and drag it half off the screen so I can't see it. That's smart. Yeah. My eyes have been like a. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Oh, good. Um, This has been a great conversation, Laura. Thanks so much for having it. I really appreciate it. I am going to say um, it's courageous of you to come on because I, you know, I think this is a touchy subject and I think, Mm that uh, it's been great to have an open, you know, curious conversation about it. And I hope no one gets upset by what we've, anything we've said today. But if they do, I feel like, well, uh, you know, that's not the spirit in which it was intended. And, absolutely, you know, I think it's really, really important that we have these conversations. And I don't think, you know, you or I would say that we've got any well, certainly not all of the answers. Maybe we've got some part of some of the answers. Yes. But, you know, I think it's really important to have the conversations because that's how we're going to, you know, progress as a society and find the answers over time. Mm. Um, and I think really, to, for me, the big takeaways that I think, you know, what I think uh, we agree are part of the solution is like, can we just stop shaming people for 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 doing anything? You know, can we anything. just stop shaming people? for for anything i really appreciate you saying that raf i um have had my hesitations every day about 10 times i gosh i don't know if i like want to do it um and obviously nothing to do with you just scared of people sometimes and as i say i've taken a break from social media um and this will be kind of the first thing that i've done like publicly in a while um and yeah so if anyone's listening i do just ask to be kind as best you can and everyone's going to have their own views and and that is just how the world works yeah well (laughs) thanks for coming and sharing your views appreciate it thank you so much for having me rav After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. 
two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.